1: And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCoursey here with Aaron Deacon, who will be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Aaron, what's up?
0: How's it going, Matt? Thanks for having me.
1: I'm doing pretty good. Congratulations on your instant promotion from guest to co-host today.
0: Well, I'm a fast riser.
1: Yeah, I know. I've always uh, appreciated that about you. And sitting in for Master Watson is not always the easiest thing to do, but I feel like you're up for the challenge. Now, before we get started, I need to let everyone know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io, which is the business I own with the guy that's not here today. And we're going to talk all about what you do here in a second, but I got I to thank a couple people first. So first off, once again, Penco at PencoLLC.com. We used your jewel-encrusted pens that you sent us to write today's notes I do appreciate it. Love the pens. Go check it out. They make these pens that have these like giant 9 million carat jewels on the end of them. And also, I wanted to thank the guys from Lumi Band for sending us some t-shirts and stickers and stuff. And uh, Cool band. You can check them out. Lumi Funk. Look for them on Instagram. While you're there, go check us out at Startup Hustle Podcast. And that's where you can see Aaron and I on some pictures that we'll take here shortly and you can also find us on the startup hustle YouTube channel. Anyway, enough of that nonsense, Aaron, you are the managing director of KC digital drive. Is this true?
0: That is correct.
1: Okay. So, and, and you guys listening, you know, I like it when you're interactive. So go to KC check it out while we talk all about it. Let's uh
0: what do you guys do? So our mission, we're a nonprofit, 501c3. Uh, we've been around as a, uh, an organization stu- since 2014, a brand since 2012. And uh, our mission is to make Kansas City a digital leader to improve the quality of life and economic opportunities for people in the region. Okay. So how do we do that? That's a good question. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty broad, right? So uh, we, we, we really build communities of practice at the intersection of emerging technologies and the public good um power, er, no, let's break that down for a second What well, like,
1: what's an emerging technology give us an example along the way
0: sure so we we started with google fiber that was really the the instance here that sprung us into being um nobody knew what gigabit networks were they didn't know what gigabit speeds were even when you told them what they were they didn't really understand why you needed them uh and so there was kind of a dual challenge from a civic perspective One, how do you take advantage of that, both in terms of building the apps, you know, that are going to run on that and thinking about what kind of the future looks like, um, and, and how do you also create businesses and economic opportunities on top of that? Um, so that's sort of the innovation side of the ecosystem. The other question was, uh, how do you make sure it's done in an equitable way? Um, and with, with that product in particular, uh, you know, they had a very market driven model we're going to let neighborhoods kind of ask for this product. We're going to go where people want it. So, uh, you know, that's a, a bit of a double-edged sword. Telco companies weren't in the habit of asking people where they wanted their infrastructure built. So that was great. We were able to get infrastructure put into a lot of uh, disinvested neighborhoods, but there's a lot of work to be done to do that. Um, and so that's a, sort of the inclusion side of what it is that we do.
1: For our listeners in Kansas City, you'll be, they're all familiar with Google Fiber. For those of you that are listening, we've had listeners in 185 countries. Thank you, by the way. Um, so Google Fiber, and that was 2013?
0: uh 2011 2011 when that, was when that started
1: so google decided that they were going to pick a city in the united states and they were going to basically restring the city's infrastructure with fiber optic internet cable and you hear aaron using the term gigabit what that did was it enabled uh upload and download speeds of a full gigabyte per is that gig per second or yep. something like it. anyway it's really freaking fast Now, with that, um, came some opportunity, some attention. A lot of cities vied for that. They picked Kansas City, and thank you, Google. Um, But we learned a lot from that pretty quickly. Um, I rented one of the first houses that had Google Fiber in it because I thought, man, I'm going to get ahead of this innovation. And I very quickly realized that it was great, but the rest of the Internet might not have been ready for that kind of speed. I, I compare it to driving really fast down like a, a, like an, a highway, not an interstate where you can go 80 and then you hit a small town you got to go 25. So there were some other roadblocks and stuff like that. But, um, you know, out of that came a lot of interesting businesses and I feel like that really kickstarted the startup scene here in Kansas city. Do do you agree with that or? Yeah,
0: it did. It did in a lot of ways. I mean, and, and, you know, it's interesting because I think nationally there was sort of a startup-y zeitgeist moment sure. uh, that that was riding alongside that. Yep. But um, I don't think there's any question that that infrastructure catapulted Kansas City yeah. well beyond where it was. Um, we
1: formed communities around it. You know, there absolutely. was a, a little, literally like a little startup village that started uh, back a few miles away from where we're at right now. Yep. And, yeah. And that was, you know, built around Google Fiber. And I mean, those are so these kind of communities... Uh, started forming. And then now you have to answer the question of, I mean, you know, what are we going to do with this cool technology?
0: Yeah. And, and some of it is the community itself. Right. Uh, and so you see, I mean, one of the, one of the problems with emerging technology uh, from an entrepreneurship perspective is that it's, it's, you know, depending on how early it is in its emergence, it's going to be pre-commercial. So, you know, the startup village and, and all these companies, we've got a lot of people looking at what are gigabit apps, and we still work on that, and we've got some things that were gigabit apps that that emerged. Uh, but you had a lot of people who were looking to build businesses for right now, as as you would if you're building a business. Uh, and they're like, well, but there aren't enough people that have it, you know. So, so part of what we would do is build communities of people that had that orientation that were looking forward, and and could see where that fit in on a roadmap. But we're still practical enough to build something that could be successful in the near term, um, and that could work over the contemporary internet. And I think this is a uh, you know this is true with any emerging tech. I mean, you look at blockchain now, for example. And so you've got all sorts of you know you've got uh, shecker's blockchain conference that he's. Put together here and is going to do, do again next year. And you have a lot of businesses, both established businesses that are dipping their toes in and saying, oh, how do we get in on blockchain? Uh, you've got new startups that are, that are forming around it. Some of which have been successful, but in a lot of ways, people are still looking for the early use cases. So how do you sort of, um, cross that bridge between, uh, having the, the wherewithal the, the bandwidth as it were to dip your toe into emerging technologies? Uh, but, but still have a product that's commercially viable in the near term.
1: Is there a blanket answer for that? Like you mentioned, like, how do you, how do you bridge the gap or how do you do certain things? I mean, I I, I believe the answer would probably be that it's different for every situation, but I mean, are there some, are there
0: some tried and true things that have to exist in all use cases well, yeah, I mean, I so, yeah, it is a lot different in situations, but I think kind of what, what got us started down this path is the idea of community being being important and sort of a community of practice around what it is that you're doing. Because no matter what you, what the technology is, there are, there's a kind of person that is interested in the bleeding edge technology. And so if you're working in healthcare, you know, maybe five years ago, it was, what are we going to do with gigabit? Uh, then maybe it's, you know, let's look at AR, VR applications in, in ed tech, maybe, um, we're looking at cloud gaming, maybe we're looking at blockchain, you know, the, the people who are interested in what's next, I think that's a, a kind of person or or a type. Sometimes it's a role, but, but it's usually personality driven. And so being able to get those people together, um, with the people who have an acute understanding of the problem that that they're trying to solve, right? Because that's, that's sort of where the disconnect I think typically is, is you've got sort of people who are tech enthusiasts who are really looking at, Oh, you know, what's coming down the pike. This is going to be fun. This is going to be new. I want to explore, I want to push the limits. And and oftentimes uh, they don't necessarily connect with where the problem is. And, but, but you do have people who are your subject matter experts, your stakeholders who do feel the problem acutely. Some of them couldn't care less about technology You know, if there's a technology solution, great. If there's not, fine. But there's a subset of those people who understand the problem who are also technology enthusiasts. And so building those communities and having them together, whether it's a group of startups that live in, you know, uh, houses over a few square blocks that are excited about talking about those issues or whether it's more conventional meetings or meetups, um, having those communities in place means that you're well positioned to respond to a new technology that, that comes around. Uh, And you don't need to reinvent the wheel.
1: You know, our most popular episode of Startup Hustle this year has been the one about startup communities.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I
1: don't, I, I honestly don't know what's driving that. I don't know if people are just like literally searching that and finding <laughs> it. But, uh, and you know, and I know, you know, Adam Arondondo of the yep. K- KC startup foundation, he came in and was our guest and we talked about that. And I'm a big advocate of the community thing. Cause you know, I go and we tr- sponsor the startup foundation and try to get involved with a bunch of different events and, and do a lot of stuff. And, you know, for those of you listening that are trying to figure out how to do whatever it is you want to do go out and talk to people about it. Absolutely. You know, go out and g- go surround yourself by other people that are doing things that are the same, but different, you know, and like, and, and it's, it's a, that communal aspect provides a lot of things that are important. A encouragement, uh, B you, I mean, there's, you know, I mentioned encouragement, but it also can provide some drive, you know, like, For sure. like, like saying, Hey, like, let's, let's see what we can do. You, you, have a higher likelihood of meeting other people that want to participate. You know, you mentioned a community of innovation and, and having people involved, like, I mean, go find your next co-founder, yep. you do a lot of different stuff. And then I think another thing that may be overlooked is sometimes, you know, one of the things that people, the feedback we get about the show is they like hearing about failure and it makes them feel better. Like, Hey, I'm not a loser. Like, <laughs> like here's someone <laughs> that, you know, uh, you know, we have in like Sandy Kemper on who's, may may be the founder of kansas city's next unicorn valuation company and he's talking about all the things he failed at and like you know it's a lot easier to feel a little better about yourself like hey that's part of it and that's that encouragement and that like hey you just got to kind of keep doing it so
0: yeah no i think that's that's absolutely true um having and and this you know the startup foundation does a great job uh first of all of of having that entrepreneurial support ecosystem. So that's uh, part of it. And I think what, you know, what Donald Hawkins is doing with KC Collective, what KC SourceLink does, which is really entrepreneur focused. I'm thinking about all the places on that journey. Um,
1: Don's a startup hustle alumnus. And let's pause and and mention what he's doing. So with KC Collective, he's, Don's taking the effort to, well, A, find a bunch of different, uh, you know, vendors basically, that'll give you something, that'll hook you up with something for free. Yep. Um, And why not? you know, why not? And then also kind of creating some, oh, they recently did something related like pitch practice. Yep. Like, and just think about that. Like, why not? I mean, you're going to have to pitch your idea, whether it's to an investor or a client or a co-founder or whatever. And, you know, these folks don't, don doesn't make money off of KC collective like that's like he likes helping out and doing that kind of stuff and that and that's that's the kind of stuff that can that can begin to create a community of innovation
0: yeah yeah and that's that's hugely valuable i think for the for the ecosystem as a whole and for the founders Um, but there are a lot of people also within the innovation ecosystem who aren't necessarily Going to lead companies sure. and a lot of the and a lot of the resources and even the framing, right? I mean, there's a there has gotten to be a lot of talk about entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, which which means that the framework is really on the entrepreneur. How do we support entrepreneurs? You know, you look at Coffin Foundation's work around. I think they say for every three entrepreneurs, there are 997 people that aren't the entrepreneurs, and how do we help you know them orient towards the entrepreneurs? And I think that's all very important work. Um, but there are other ways I think of thinking about the innovation ecosystem where. The entrepreneur plays a role towards towards outcomes um, but but there are other ways to support that ecosystem that aren't all focused sort of on supporting that particular kind of cog in the wheel if that makes sense. what are a couple of examples uh so universities uh, okay. you know university you know university research I mean there's a ton of resources there um both in terms of kind of the the underlying foundational research that drives some of the innovation um, and uh and and so thinking about how you bring that in, uh, and, and a couple examples, uh, you know, the the tech transfer programs at the universities, and then whiteboard to boardroom specifically that the innovation center runs. Right, that is okay. We've got all these professors who are coming up with IP. They don't care sometimes about commercializing it, or maybe they do, and they just don't know how because it's not their skill set, or they're not incentivized within uh, within their organization to do that, but. But that's a pretty important piece um, yeah. developing the, the intellectual capital um, so so that one kind of has has the university on one side and the entrepreneur on the other side uh, we uh, run a program here uh, called metro lab and this is part of a national program but we've uh, got the, the the local metro lab partnership which puts university resources towards civic problems um, so metro lab nationally builds itself as tech transfer for the public sector just came back from their national annual summit last week, uh, in, in Boulder. And that project is looking at the cities, local government or local public facing institutions for problem sets that faculty can solve. So there was a, um, uh, the national science foundation runs a grant program called smart and connected communities. And it is a, it's a really interesting program for NSF. I don't know how much you know about their grant making, um, it's they're very, very much about foundational basic research. Uh, so one of the things that's unique about this smart and connected communities program is that it's looking more to applied research, right? So how do we take fundamental, you know, basic research and, and make it, um, position it in a way where it's solving community problems. And it also is really looking to bring together technical kind of engineering research with social science research. um, so we do a lot of work facilitating the relationship between city governments and the universities so that the those assets at the university can be directed towards problems. There may be companies that come out of that, and it's great to have entrepreneurs as part of that conversation. But it's different when your orientation is, you know, maybe solving a city problem, maybe helping a university with their research project, maybe helping students in the class gain some real world experience and be part of a sort of practicum project. That's a different kind of outcome and orientation than say starting a business and figuring out what product market fit is and doing all the stuff that you would do especially to to create a venture back business.
1: So let's talk about business creation for a second cuz you mentioned something, you know, 10 minutes ago about uh the difference between a now business and a future business. Yeah. And you know there that's that's actually like a really great point. Um recently and I don't know what episode this it'll come out before this one but we had we had a couple inventors in here. And, uh, you know, one of the things about great inventors, and I, I cited some opinions and I used, uh, uh, uh Ray Kurzweil, who's a very well-known inventor. Mm-hmm. And Ray would said, look, the, the most cutting edge inventors are, are thinking about what they want to build in 10 years, not next year. Right. <laughs> and that's the difference between a future business and a now business. For sure. And, you know, he's, <clears throat> and he's sitting there, uh, there's a, I don't know, you can find it on Netflix. I think it's about singularity and like the bonding of man and machine and like how that's just really inevitable. And it's like kind of weird. Cause you're like, oh, is that science fiction? And it's almost like science now, like it's getting there, but you know, they, they, they use uh, principles like Moore's law and different stuff to like say, okay, I can't build this now, but I might be able to build it later. Right. And by, and if you aren't thinking about these, that and what you want to do in 10 years, and you're trying to do it on a year's notice, I mean, you might pull it off, but there might be someone that is nine years ahead of you when it comes to thinking it out and getting it planned and doing stuff like that. So now in Congress with what you're saying, like you you also mentioned a a, a professor. Well, it might have a great idea, but he, I mean, he's a professor. That's the kind of all he wants to do. Uh, maybe there's someone out there that has a bigger interest in creating a business around it and doing stuff like that. So with your organization, so at, at um, uh, Casey Digital Drive, and by the way, go to KCDigitalDrive.org to see more about what Aaron's doing. But how do you how do you help someone understand? Because it, it a, a business that that has a better is bet as has a better timing for launch and well, blockchain's a good example. I mean, sure. six years ago it was just too early for so many things. And now everyone's blockchain, blockchain, <laughs> blockchain. So how do you, what are some tips that you can give our listeners or some input related to figuring out whether you have a now business or a future business or, or if you can even get a business out of it
0: at all? Find a user. Uh, it doesn't even have to be a customer. Um, and, and this kind of depends on where you are in the cycle and what you're, I mean, if you're, if you're venture backed, you need to find a customer. Yeah. Uh, which is
1: a user of some sort, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But, but if you're not venture backed or if you don't know yet, if you're going to start a business, you're working on a side project or you're a hobbyist or you're interested or, you know, you just, you know, maybe you, you're dabbling in blockchain or you've got a full time development job someplace else. You think this is interesting. You think you've got a great idea and you start building it. And we see people come in all the time, uh, and we've got, we, we run a hack night every week. Code for KC, which is part of the Code for America network. It's our brigade, it's civic tech volunteers. They build stuff for some local government, but nonprofits and things like that.
1: And you've got information about those and links on your website. Absolutely. Yep. You can go yep. to
0: kcdigitaldrive.org slash code for KC. Code for KC.org has its own site, actually, and you can see the projects that are in the pipeline. Uh, but we will get and have historically gotten people that come in and they either have built something or they pitch an idea and they're like, I, we think this is needed. We think this is needed out in the marketplace. Sometimes they'll get some people and they'll build it. And you're like, well, who's, who's going to use it? Well, we're going to, we're going to show it to them after we build it, which, you know, you can do that. But if you get them in the room before you start building it, uh, you're going to be, you're going to be closer. And similarly, and, and, and
1: there's reasons that's important because, and I've, I've made this mistake myself and, um, a user will tell you what they really want. And if you don't have the actual users in that data, you're guessing. Yeah. And you're going to end up invariably building stuff that takes time, costs money, uh, takes focus away because you think you know exactly what that needs and then the users will tell you otherwise in a lot of cases. So right. don't don't sit on it and wait. That's why people say, just let the baby be ugly, put it out there and see what people have to say about it.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and so from a, you know, uh, again, that's, that's, if, if you're creating a business, I think the incentive is clear, right? Cause you need in a business by its nature has customers and that's what you're working towards. If you're a researcher and really what, and you're, you know, just interested in knowledge for its own sake. And you are interested in uh, algorithms that allow you to do, you know, say video surveillance analytics and be able to tag things in real time. And that's a really interesting question to you. How do you have a video camera that's up? Maybe, you know, you've got a network of, say, 10 video cameras along a street and they're watching what's happening along the street. And you'd like notifications for when certain things happen. So there's machine learning questions there. There's, you know, image recognition questions. There's stitching together video. There may be some network questions about how you combine all that video in one place on the back end. Like there's a lot of really technical stuff there. And, you know, the, the use case is going to have varying levels of motivation, right? And, or, you know, so there could be somebody who's like, yeah, I really am trying to solve this problem through doing this. But probably if you're a, you know, uh, an engineering researcher, and it's got a PhD in uh, machine learning or network analysis, things like that, those questions uh, are the ones that, that really motivate you. And that's not something that necessarily the, somebody at the city or at the police department, or at one of the storefronts who has the camera that's doing the video, they're probably not going to care about what your technical solution is. And They're probably not going to understand it, even if you explained it to them. They may care about what the use case is, about you, if you can solve a problem. And so that's the kind of connection that, um, that there's not necessarily an apparatus for when it's not, I mean, there's, there's growing to be more, I mean, like you're forced to do that as a business. Um, and, and if you've got investors, they're going to say, you need to do your product market fit. You need to go interview some customers and you're either going to spend time for that. or We're going to give you money to go do that because that's part of the, the business side of this. But if you're not necessarily working towards a business and you're just worried about the problem, either the technical problem or the social problem, that capacity is not always there and it's not easy to find. So that's part of the the gap that we try to fill as an organization.
1: I think one thing that a lot of people don't understand or, or they're just, they haven't, you know, learned this yet is that there are investors that will actually give you small amounts of funding to go answer some of those questions you just mentioned. Like, okay, we're interested in this, but before we give you a check for $3 million, we'd rather write one for 30 K and figure it out now. But think about that. And this should be, this should be very encouraging for those of you listening. Cause by the way, the first time I, someone ran this by me, I was like, what? But literally it's a, you can make your pitch saying hey I need I'm trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars so I can so I can define the total addressable market I can define what the user needs are blah 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 and I just want to figure I'm literally going to burn through all this cash. I am guaranteed to not get a dollar of return in revenue, but we will know a hell of a lot at the end of that, and you know that's like a different risk you know the t- risk profile for an investor, but it can really—that's you know, really a suitable approach in some cases.
0: It is, especially, especially if you make the case that you've got the team to do it. Yeah, I mean, investors always invest you, in teams. If you
1: don't have any, if you don't have any street cred, but uh, or history, you're not probably not going to get that hundred k check. But right. if you have a background, if you like, you just mentioned like the video, you know, whatever. If you, hey, I'm, a, I'm a i I have a history with machine learning and, and open computer vision and stuff like that. And I think I can find a solution. Like you you probably find someone that could, might back you to try to figure out if it's worthy of, uh, pursue
0: Yeah. Well, especially if you have sort of the entrepreneurship gene, right? Yeah. If you're, if you're motivated to go out and sell that and, and sell yourself, because there are a lot of people who I think have the the technical qualifications mm-hmm. and probably the curiosity, but they may not have the, the entrepreneurship uh, orientation. So they may be a little bit more modest in how they talk about themselves. And they may say, Oh, here's a, you know, here's a thing or I don't really know if someone's going to spend money on this or, you know, they may even undersell their own qualifications to be able to deliver it all it the time Aaron. because all the time, you know, they just, that's not necessarily who yeah. they are. So, um, so you need to
1: find someone that's, uh, that's equipped and willing to tell you how awesome they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Can you do that? Yes. All day. <laughs> Uh, ask my wife, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's, you know, and you know, the other Matt's not here, but that is what makes he and I a good partnership with our business. He, Matt is highly technical. Matt writes code. I tell people I don't write code or write checks, right? I'm good at selling stuff, promoting things, going out and, and being that part of the business. And i leave Matt back at the office, figuring the other stuff out and he's cool with that. I'm cool with that. Now, that said, that's what you can go and try to find in the communities of innovation Absolutely. that exist around you. That's why you need to go out and get involved. You are not going to find these people to partner up with without that interaction.
0: Right. And and sometimes you can get it uh as a as a first customer too you know True. so it i mean you got you can you can certainly go towards the investor angle but well,
1: sometimes your customer can be your investor that's right i mean that is that is also a very common scenario like you look at these niche solutions or things like you okay if you can make life easier if you can help someone uh, sell more or spend less you got a shot yep those three things right there you have a shot so relieve a pain point Help them sell more, help them spend less. If you can do all three of those, then you're really on to something.
0: And a lot of people can fund R&D to some level. Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't need to be a big I mean it yeah. might be that twenty or thirty thousand that you're talking about and you say, Well, you know, I, I think I've got an answer to your 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 problem down the road. I'm not sure what it is now, but if it's figuring out the market or figuring out, you know, a, a, how to crystallize a pain point a little bit more or you know, maybe building some foundational piece of your technology, uh, you may find a company or a city or a, another kind of stakeholder that is your eventual customer that says, yeah, we can put five or 10 or $20,000 towards, you know, helping to build out proof of concept.
1: So, do you want to know what I think step one is in raising a million dollars for anything?
0: Sure. You got to believe you can raise a million dollars for something. <laughs> That's absolutely true. I know
1: that sounds super simplistic, but like, think about that, people. Like. You're thinking, I need to do this. But do you really believe that you can do it? Because you talked about having that entrepreneur chip or that gene. Well, I got it. You know, and, and I see it in my daughter
0: already. And no, she's that's fantastic. Like not even
1: five. Yeah, I saw it when she was three. <laughs> she didn't want a dollhouse for Christmas. She wanted a lemonade stand. And I didn't like push that. It's like there, but with that. There's also this crazy sense of like self-belief and like, you know, like you got to, oh I mean, I wrote about it in one of my books. Like there's a lot of people that are going to tell you, no, that they're going to say, no, you'll never do it. Blah, 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 blah. You got to kind of weed through whether they're right or wrong yep and be a little crazy.
0: Did you get a lemonade stand? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. How oh, much man.
1: lemonade did she sell? Jeez, well, it was really funny because after that we set it up. And it took me forever to build <laughs> It took forever, but, and I left my, my, uh, my, my power like drill here at the office. Oh, nice. And so I'm literally on Christmas Eve trying to put this thing together. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding the first night. Yeah, I need this. But, uh, so we put it together and, uh, she, we mixed up some lemonade the next day and she was selling it. And, uh, and I asked her, I said, I said, "Well, why do I want what if I don't like your lemonade?" And she said to me, she goes, "Well, maybe you should try it and then let me know after." <laughs> and I wanted to cry. I was like, "Oh my god, my 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 4-year-old just handled an objection and like, yeah." And then I asked if I could buy buy her a lemonade. And she said, yes, but I'm just going to sell it after. Did you get her a nightgown that
0: says, always be closing? I I don't think I need to. I think (laughs) she gets
1: it. The the sad thing was, is I also realized at that point that she knew more about selling than a lot of people that I see. And I say that like you have to sell something eventually, people like right. you t- everything we're talking about. Now we're talking about digital transformation and innovation ecosystems and communities of innovation. Well, eventually it has to it has to monetize on some level. Now there are. Cases where that might not be the case, but it really still is. Like even if the government is your partner and you're getting grants, you talk about NSF and all these different things. Like, eh, they're I mean, unless you're going to just like live for free somewhere and do whatever, like you got to have some resources, and that's that's where you have to figure that out.
0: Yeah, there there needs to be a business model. You know, even in the nonprofit world, right? I mean, you you it may not be selling a product, uh, and it may not be purely profit driven if you're doing work you've got to be creating value and it's got to be value that that is compensated somewhere else in the value chain um and and there are a lot of different ways that happens so i mean that's part of the you know what's what's important too when you think about entrepreneurship again is not just and and you see this in a lot of places but it's not just business creation it is helping people figure out business model and figuring out what that sort of value exchange model is in a lot of different contexts
1: It's not, you know, so much of that stuff is really, I mean, 101 level course matter, you know, talking about, I mean, you have expenses, you have revenue, you have things that you need to plan for. And I see too many people fail when it comes to, you know, wait, they they wait too long. They wait too long to try to sell something, to try to find resources and you die on the vine. Yeah. You die on the vine. So you, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that. You get people; they're like, uh, "Okay, how long till you're out of money? Six weeks. What are you doing about that? Well, we just started trying to find investors. All right, cool. Well, you're, <laughs> you're getting a job or doing something because it just doesn't happen that fast. Yeah. So, all right. So with with Casey Digital Drive, and we've talked a lot about all the things I just mentioned. Um, you know, one of the things I have in my notes here is talking about how you view opportunity. And I know we just talked about that, but do you find yourself in situations where you have to just be real honest with people sometimes? Like, hey, it's gonna be a tough, tough, tough go at it.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um uh you know, we we, we try to be honest with people all the time and, and pretty straightforward about what uh about what it is that they're facing, about how, you know, what what their idea is and what their chances for success are. Um I, I think, you know, we are we're very much a network organization. Um, and, and so part of that is uh, I think being really open to what people perceive as their own opportunity. Uh, so I'll definitely tell people, you know, I, I get what you're saying. I think the problem that you're solving is real. I have no idea how you're going to do what it is that you're talking about. You know, your, your go to market strategy doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, let me know how I can help. Let me know what sort of connections you need and, and let's, you know, let's see, because a lot of what is required to make something successful is a person who's pursuing it, who's passionate about it and who is willing to be a champion, uh, for it, especially if they're coachable, right? So, so there can be somebody who's got a a lot of passion around a certain problem. Uh, and, and, you know, it may not at all be clear that, that they've got a, a way to get there. Uh, but if they're genuine and they want to learn and they're and they're skilled in in something you know they've got to have some some skills and and competence uh as well but they can they can sort of create new opportunities i think out of that um the other the other way that we think about opportunity is really is the flip side of risk um especially from a civic technology perspective. So when you think about our work as, as emerging technologies and, and a lot of the conversation, especially from, a, you know, from an innovation perspective and, and certainly in the startup world where there's a lot of hype and a lot of excitement and there's a lot of boosterism around sort of whatever's coming next, like that is a very optimistic mindset towards, towards opportunity, uh, which is great. And like, you really need to have that in an ecosystem that is an essential component. Um, it's not always the most realistic, uh which which is good, I mean like it, that, that's 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 uh you know that's part of the bargain right that's what you get when you get like the the hard charger who's really ambitious and excited about whatever the thing is that's coming next um but you know technology is is sort of morally neutral right i mean it helps us be more efficient at whatever it is that we're doing, and so if we're not doing something that's that's great or if we've got a system that's in place and then we layer technology on top of it, it might uh you know, expand inequity, or it might further a system that's already doing something unjust. So we've got to be thinking about, um, the opportunities that are in front of us with, with both those things in mind. And it's a tough balance to figure out sort of where sometimes to come down in, in terms of, you know, tolerating, uh, the chance for things to go wrong so that you've got an open field for innovation, uh, versus being thoughtful about what the, the, you know, downside potential is.
1: So if you are if you happen to be watching on the Startup Hustle YouTube channel, you saw me doing a whole lot of head nodding there. And and can I have a, a brief moment to weigh in on this? Because I think oh, that, yeah. I think that you I think you nailed it. I think the when you look at do you how do you view your opportunity? I and I tell people this a lot. If you are not passionate about the opportunity, just don't don't pursue it don't because you'll quit. You're going to quit. It's hard. There's really like no easy way around. I like to say that success demands payment in advance. (laughs) And if you're not willing to write that check and, and there's very, very little variance to this, like that's kind of my personal tagline. And you know, that, that came with, with my book balance me and, you know, success demands payment in advance. So you got to pay up front. There's, and you know, people I'd say, say, prove that theory. I say, well, it proves itself over and over again. You see people and you think they became an overnight success or like that, the, I don't know, whoever was good right away. And once you get below the surface, you realize they probably put in a hell of a lot of time. They went through a lot of adversity. They did a lot of different things. So if you're not passionate about it, you're going to, it's going to eventually wear you down. And you're going to quit. And another thing is, is, you know, passion's difficult to fake. Yeah. And people that are seasoned at entrepreneurship, at business, people that write checks, people that do investments, they will smell that a mile away. You can tell, you can just tell when people are passionate about something. And, you know, you mentioned like that person that's going to charge right through things or do different stuff. Those people are passionate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as far as, as your first evaluation of how you view your opportunity, like how passionate are you about it? Because it eventually does become a grind. It's
0: a totally random thought that I have when you said that. Do people ever hire actors as their pitchmen?
1: No, but that's not a bad business. Maybe we should start a marketplace for that. Maybe so. Because, you know, that's, that's, um, you know, I mean, it's tough. It is. It's tough. You know, it's uh, the whole, uh, you can be, and you can be passionate about the problem you're solving without being like, Hey, here I am, Mr. Passion, <laughs> right. you know, there's, that's different. And, and I mean, like you are just deeply driven to fix it, Yep. you know, and, and <clears throat> so often that, and that's, that's where, where business and entrepreneurship kind of become hard for some people. Cause a lot of people started a business accidentally out of, they had a passion to do something, you know, maybe, and maybe it wasn't necessarily to fix a problem. Maybe they had a passion as an artist or something like that. And now they're like, Hey, this is what I really want to do. Oh wait, there's a business component to that. And some people get kind of far down the line and they're like, Oh shit, I don't know anything
0: about the rest of this stuff. So
1: what am I going to (laughs) do? What am I
0: going to do? Well, I mean, and you can also, there, there there's, I think a slightly different type that is also just passionate about winning. That's me. Right. So, so you, I mean, and, and you may or may not care one way or the other what problem it is that you're trying to solve. uh, But you like solving problems and you like being the first to solve them and the best to solve them. Um, Well, if I'm going to put my effort into it, I want to do it well. But I say no
1: to so much stuff. I didn't always, but now I do.
0: Well, prioritizing is important.
1: Well, I mean, it, it, so recently uh, um, there's a, a Netflix documentary about Bill Gates. That oh, was okay. Called "In the Mind of Bill" or something like that. And I've never really like been a big Bill Gates follower. I've just never really cared, you uh-huh. know. And but so much of 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 you know, I watched it and I was like, wow, you know, dude's like really doing a lot of stuff. But you know, it, it, this is one of the most successful, wealthiest, and smartest people out there. And like he even and he. It, it, addresses pretty quickly. He's like, I have the exact same limitation that you do. I have 24 hours in a day. I can do X amount of stuff and I have to choose what I want to do, who I want to do it with and where my focus is going to be. And, uh, um, you know, regardless of the passion that you have for solving, so where, what are you going to take on? What are you going to, are you going to fix the big problem? Or are you going to fix uh, different problems? And, and, uh, you know, you can get pretty sidetracked in a, in a hurry.
0: I will say that Bill Gates has the capacity to outsource quite a bit more than I do.
1: Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, I mean some of the things that like uh, they were talking about, like, I mean, they're like, they're really close to literally eradicating polio in 2018. There were only 33 known cases of polio in the world, which is crazy. It is crazy. I mean, they're like one step away from that. And like, and then, then, and, you know, then the next step of the documentary is they were after the um, the tsunami in Japan and the, like, Fukushima, I think it was called, the nuclear reactor, uh-huh. like, went apeshit and melted down. And he focused his attention on building, getting to get. They hadn't had any true innovation in nuclear power. Well, that's a green solution, but how do you do it and make it safe? So it's not going to go Chernobyl on us. Right. Which, if you've seen that miniseries on that HBO. It is frightening. I did not ever realize like how totally screwed we almost were <laughs> with that. You know, it was like, Oh my God, this is like really bad. And, and, And we still might be, who knows? Well, maybe, but you know, (laughs) so you talk about like where you're going to focus your energy and where's your passion. And, and, you know, for him, it's not necessarily like, it's just, it's just interesting because you know, you look at people that, I don't know if you have $65 billion or whatever, like you also have every reason to not give a shit about so many other things. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to like buy islands and <laughs> hang out on them and be left alone.
0: And, yeah. I mean, you kind of do, I mean, you just think that that's not the way those, those people are wired. Well, but, uh,
1: but that's my point is you're r- still, he's still right. solving problems right. and passionate about doing things and like, has a genuine interest. And, in, and, you know, like the dude's been under a lot of scrutiny. Like he, they ask him about, you know, like, Hey, well, you may have formed a monopoly and, you know, like, sure. and different stuff. And, and, you know, maybe not everything he did was within, you know, you talk about uh, moral neutrality, well, I mean, they were kind of putting their foot on people's throats and
0: saying, "See ya." You know, oh yeah, yeah. No, the, so, <laughs> the the actors aren't morally neutral, <laughs> right? Right.
1: So, you know, but but you know, back to the you know the subject is of taking on things that you're passionate about, and and now with that, you if you can find other people that are passionate about the same thing you are, now now you're building a, a tribe, and yeah. you're getting people together, and that's back to this whole spirit of like communities of innovation and. And so, when when you're when you're viewing your opportunity, I think a very important question to ask is, who else cares about this? Absolutely. And because here's I've got bad news for you: if you're the only one, mm, yeah, good luck. Yeah, luck. And there. And by the way, someone out there listening, you know who you are. (laughs) There's something you give a shit about that no one else cares about, and you need to just give it up and go do something productive. You know, it's so usually people that are the kind of probably in the ballpark of like sweating the small stuff, you know, like, <laughs> right. I mean, d- d- p- focus that attention on something useful and make a difference. But, yeah. But yeah, but if you can find other people around you that are passionate, now you've got other people and, and, you know, two turns into four, turns into eight. Next thing you know, you, you might be able to get something done. Yep. I mean, whether it's a business or not, but that's, that's where it all starts.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's kind of, kind of the approach. It'll probably, uh, uh this episode will probably air after, national digital inclusion week, which is October 7th to 11th. But, uh, when you, when you look at sort of passionate communities of practice, um, digital inclusion, absolutely. okay, Yeah. So, so the Kansas city coalition for digital inclusion, uh, is a, is a local group, uh, that meets at the downtown branch, the Kansas city public library once a month, um, and has been meeting now for five or six years, uh, around the, the topic of digital equity and how we make sure that, underserved communities get access to the same technologies that everybody else has. Um, and, and that is a great example of the business case there isn't always super clear. Sure. Uh, but you've got passionate people, um, who, uh, are are passionate about a problem and have a group of like-minded people and have found a tribe that has been very supportive and has been able to lead to, um, you know, an organization locally like connecting for good. Have you guys had them on your, no. on your, you ought to have connecting for good on, um, because they are a, a nonprofit startup. Uh, that's, you know, I think they started in 2012 maybe, um, and have built up an amazing national brand and program portfolio around delivering internet service, refurbishing com- computers, and delivering into needy communities. Um, they do a ton of work in, in digital skills delivery uh, and then have started to form partnerships with, um, uh, with for example, uh, I think United Way doing you know tax prep, right? So it's not just access to technology and how do you use it, but, okay, now we're going to start working on, uh, you know, we've got all these every, every tax season. You need people that need to come do their taxes. We have programs that help underserved communities do their taxes. Well, let's teach them how to use digital skills while we do that. Um, and so it's been, it's
1: that uh, adage of teach a man to fish. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, I mean, that's a, a neat, um, a a really neat community uh and and there's a whole national community now so national digital inclusion alliance is the is the organization that has uh networks together nationally communities like this in different cities but when you start to look at the at the scale power of finding people that are passionate about what you're passionate about it really gives you uh a, a ton of runway um you know, Angela, who leads that national organization, is now meeting with senators and congressmen regularly and pushing you know policy agendas on a national level. And it's all because people who were active and passionate and doing something on the ground started to find each other and and build critical mass around their topic.
1: Back to the tribe. That's right. You know, I, like say, I, I like to say, you know, your, your tribe is your vibe. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting I'm, – I'm completely fascinated with the, the whole subject of tribe building. And by the way, a little, I don't do book – recommendations very often, but Seth Godin wrote a great book called tribes. Oh, cool. And, uh, just for the power of like, if you're trying to build something, you know, like whatever it is you're trying to do, if you can find people that are passionate about it, you can form a community. And if in the concept of tribe building, you want to create as much value in the interaction that they get with each other as they do with the cause or your product or whatever it is that you're doing. And, uh, he immediately, this is a weird example on an entrepreneurship, Uh, podcast, but he uses the example of the grateful dead.
0: Oh, and and, you know, those
1: people were fought. They would follow the band anywhere that they went because they found just as much value in seeing their friends and being around. They, They didn't care. I mean, sure. They'd like to go on the show, but they didn't care if they didn't get in. They were cool. I want to see their friends. That's right. had a good time with that. And, and you know, that, that is a perfect example of finding as much value in the community around you as you do with cause. And with that lifelong friendships were formed, people met and at those shows and got married and just like different kinds of stuff. And a lot of the people that come from these external communities around, so they end up doing other really cool stuff because you get around like-minded people. Yep. And they manage to get stuff done. So if you're out there listening, make sure to go to kcdigitaldrive.org. If you're trying to innovate something, we might be able to help. Maybe so, maybe not. But go to fullscale.io, see what Matt Watson and I do. While you're on the internet, if you could stop by at Instagram and check us out at at Start a Puzzle Podcast. Or maybe go become a subscriber at the somewhat new YouTube channel. You can also verify that I do, in fact, have a face made for radio when you're, (laughs) when you're there. So, uh, trying to do the best we can to, uh, um, continue to, to get the word out in the entrepreneur community. So, um, as we round things out, Aaron, is there, is there a last statement or anything you'd like to, to leave the startup hustle nation with when it comes to get anything? give give you a true freestyle here (laughs) and and you were great at at following the lead and now you've got to
0: figure it out but no
1: anything you'd like to say or or pitch or push or direct people to go go for it
0: so you know i would just encourage and i don't know what what percentage your of your well i'm not gonna put you on the spot with that of listeners are here in kansas
1: city um it's it's i don't know but uh, we have more listeners outside of Kansas City than in Kansas City, and we got a lot of listeners
0: in Kansas City. So I would say for for people not here, and people who are here, you can look us up and you can find us. If you're not, uh, look for uh, the the stakeholders in your local ecosystem who yep. are interested. Uh, you know, one, go to a startup event. You know, look at your entrepreneurship community. But you're probably already there if you're if you're entrepreneurship motivated. You're going to be looking at Meetup or trying to figure out where the entrepreneurs get together. But go and look at some of the other folks who are interested in innovation uh, and who are using technology to try to solve problems and see if there are ways to get involved. Uh, I think there's benefit uh, potentially for your community, but also for your business. You can get involved and 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 forge relationships uh, that that I think are going to be really beneficial, mutually beneficial. Um, by and, and those aren't always the, instant. No. And, yeah. and they're not always apparent. There's, yeah. you, you sometimes have to do a little bit more searching to those. Uh, or for those rather, if, if what your kind of main focus is, is, is entrepreneurship.
1: You know, you mentioned not knowing what the reason is and it not immediately being a parent, Matt Watson and I are a perfect example of that. So I had exited a business at the end of 2016 here comes 2017, and you know Matt was asking me a lot. What are you going to do? What are you do, What are you going to do next? You know, like I mean, I don't know. I'll let you know when I figure out what I'm going to do when I grow
0: up. Podcast. That's what I want to do. I want to do a podcast. And, oh man! Well, we ended up doing <laughs> that later
1: too. But at one point, Matt said, "You know, we were like, I think we're going to do something together. I'm not really sure what." And he said, "You know, come on down. Take an office here, at where we're at now." And you know, I kind of, I said, "All right, sure." So came down, came to work you know, not, not (laughs) trying to figure it out, (laughs) trying to figure it out. And I had some other stuff going at the time, but you know, as, as we continued to be near each other and discuss certain things and do different stuff, eventually it just kind of presented itself. And, you know, I think that that's really the, the crux of what Aaron has, has and what we've been talking about today is getting around people and, I don't know. Just getting it figured out. That's the way it works. So anyway, Aaron, thank you so much for coming down today. I appreciate it. This was a very stimulating conversation. I feel like I shouldn't have had my focus on national punctuation day and should have instead <laughs> been focusing on digital inclusion, but I've always got the the
0: future to, to go, go ahead and change that. There you go. Well, thanks a lot. It's been fun. Yep. See you next time.